0: All right. Uh, this would be a good time to set your phones on do not disturb. Remember, I will pick on you if, uh, if I hear your phone ring, uh, and you'll end up in the sermon. And nobody's phone was rung in a while. Uh, I had a pastor do that to us where he said, hey, everybody turn your phone off this week because uh, several phones rang during service. And while he was making the announcement, I covert dialed his cell phone and it rang as he was speaking angrily. Uh, Let's uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. I pray that you would. Uh, just give us your grace, that you would give us your mercy, that you would draw us into your presence. Um, Lord God, that, that through the preaching of the word, we would come to know you more, Lord. I pray that you would give me uh, the ability to, to speak the truth in love, to, to dig in and find the, the, the stones in our field, like in the, in the ground that is our hearts. As we spread the seeds, I pray that your spirit would pull the stones and, and pick the rocks and prepare uh, for planting. And I pray that as we uh, hear Jesus' teachings on prayer, that we would um, just be inspired to prayer, um, that we'd be driven to prayer, that we would be drawn into Your presence to to talk to You, to rely on You, to to, to um, approach You as a as a son uh, uh, would his father um, every day, every hour. In Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, forgot my glasses on the pew. I'm going to grab them real quick. Maybe I want to take a bet on how many people dialed my phone during the prayer. Oh, so I have in my office, uh, two two cans of Febreze. Um, and the reason that that is is because I've been working here a while. Uh, and I have, uh, I have been in this building with teenagers. I have been in this building with children. I have followed myself into the bathroom downstairs. And it is necessary sometimes to keep a good can of Febreze around. Um, I would advise all um, um, married people, like if you're going to be newlyweds here, it is a good investment. Uh, it, it helps keep keep the romance alive. Um, <laughs> this morning, I uh, I was walking downstairs to get my coffee cup. And I, I, uh, I walked past the hallway where the bathrooms are, and realized, oh, I need to go grab my can of Febreze, right? And so I grabbed my can, and I walked through, and it seems like nothing, right? You're going to see it for a few seconds, and it's gone, like a mist, right? Like it's there, and it's just not there. Um, a couple years ago, Titus got a can of this in the car, and he emptied the entire can. Or was it Febreze? It was Febreze in the bottle. It was so bad because he sprayed so much of it. It was like a layer on the windshield inside. Um, It did not. Um, The reason the reason I'm talking about Febreze. The reason I am talking about Febreze this morning is um, because Febreze, like as a product, originally came out and their initial marketing plan was a failure. Because their whole marketing plan was like, like centered around the unique chemical property that was in Febreze. There's a chemical, this, uh, this chemist discovered it accidentally. It binds with molecules in the air and neutralizes them. And so you can spray this stuff and it'll take smell away. And actually they, uh, they found a marketing campaign and for a little while they tried these commercials. They had a lady who was with the Park Service. Who was in charge of collecting nuisance animals and moving them and everything she owned all of her clothing her entire house smelled like skunks and we all love skunks. Um in in Big Sandy like a few years ago we got sprayed with skunks and it was it was awful like everything smelled we all smelled bad the kids smelled bad the house smelled bad we had to wash all the laundry like everything in the drawers and everything else and it was weeks before you couldn't smell skunk in the street outside of the house um and we had to go through and we defined things to spray but that smell hung out um We're going to be talking today about uh, Matthew 6.12. If you want to find it, not putting the scripture on the screen, I want you to read your Bibles. Um, We're going to be talking about Matthew 6.12. And 6.12 is one of those lines that's that's kind of perplexing. And I I always want to look for a really clever way to present this, but I don't have one today. Matthew 6.12 is, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt against us. Okay? And... What we're going to talk about today is forgiveness, and we're going to talk about grace. And I'm going to tell you, grace and forgiveness are two of the most difficult topics in the world of Christianity, right? Like, And, and in the secular world, there is no forgiveness. You look at it, and like a person says one wrong thing when they're a teenager, and they're never forgiven. They get canceled, right? You know, oh, look, so-and-so tweeted this when he was eight. You know, get rid of him, destroy his life, you know, kill his family, stuff like that. I mean, it's crazy. Um, For us, we often don't want to forgive ourselves, and we sure as heck don't want to forgive other people. And um, what I'm here to tell you is all of us from birth carry sin, and not a little bit of it, right? Carry a lot of it. And that's, that sends kind of, a, kind of a stink in God's nose. There's a smell we carry with us. It's like when my kids went to school after, um, after the skunk incident. You know, and the whole house, I remember, Jess got me out of bed at 2 in the morning, and the whole house smelled like burning tires. And, and I went outside to wash the dog. I'm like, I got to wash the dog outside. I'm not bringing him in. And the skunk wouldn't leave. And I, I brought the shotgun out, and I was going to shoot it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the sheriff's like my neighbor. I don't want to get arrested for shooting this thing, but I really wanted to go. So we washed this stupid dog in, in, the, in the tub, in the house, and everything smelled. And it went with us everywhere. And that is sin in our lives. We carry this smell. And I'm going to tell you that unforgiveness smells worse in the body of Christ it is a thing that creates division that is unnecessary it separates brothers from sisters husbands from wives mothers and children like like the body of christ is divided most often by unforgiveness and we as believers often hamper ourselves spiritually through unforgiveness and the trick is the trick is to carry forgiveness with us and to distribute it very very freely because you know what? It smells a lot better than skunks, right? It smells a lot better than my teenager. It's And all the kids, actually. It's not just the teenager. It really is kids in general, but not me. Um, it's Forgiveness is something that we have, that we can give, that alters everything. And we're going to dig into this, okay? So a little bit of background, and it's all going to be about prayer. We're not actually, I'm not preaching about forgiveness exclusively, talk about praying and forgiveness. And this is a hard topic. And I've already spent six whole minutes introducing it. But follow me here. This is it's huge. It's important. It's powerful. Um we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer. This is a longer series on prayer and how we relate to God. And we have been talking about the Lord's Prayer as a guide for prayer. It is very easy to approach the Lord's Prayer as a pre-recorded memorized thing like singing a song right i as soon as i heard the ukulele this morning i automatically began humming to myself somewhere over the rainbow i can't hear ukulele and not think somewhere over the rainbow and i actually think i sang it walking by someone and they're like what and i'm like yeah ukulele somewhere over a rainbow And, oh yeah i know that you know and you just it's there. and the lord's prayer is like that every meal. Growing up, we would pray the Lord's Prayer. But it is not just a written, pre-recited prayer. It can serve that purpose, but it is also a guide for praying. And it is not just asking God to do things. It is petitioning and approaching God for the purpose of being changed ourselves. I will tell you, a genuine encounter with God, it can't help but change you. And going to God and talking to Him and bringing your stuff, bringing your your guilt and your shame and your anger in this way is a way of changing you and seeking God's movement in our lives. So the, the prayer itself, we talked about this, our Father is sort of setting the stage. And we're touching on this a little more than we normally do for the background for a reason. Why? Because... Our Father sets the family stage. The word here in Aramaic is almost certainly Abba, right? Um when Abba is trans or is presented as Abba in the Gospels, it's always when the Aramaic word is used intentionally. You know, so like Abba, Father. And so otherwise it would be Daddy, Father, which is a little weird to translate. But Abba being the Aramaic word. And it's almost certainly the case, most scholars agree, that you, when Jesus taught this, he taught it as our Abba, our Daddy. You know, approaching God as intimate, close, loving Father. And then we have the first section. But it sets the stage, talking to Dad. And then we have this first section, which is all about God. It is, God, let me live my life. Let the world around us treat your name as holy, as different, as special. Um, Let your kingdom, your rule as king in our lives come. And let your will happen, whether I like it or not. In the world around me and in my life and help me obey your will. And then there's the hinge. We talked about that, right? On earth as in heaven because God is definitely king in heaven, right? God's name is holy in heaven. God is, you know, these things are 100% true in heaven. He's saying, make these things true in my life and in the world around me, which is a big ask. It's a dangerous ask. Asking for daily bread. We talked about that last week. I don't want to go into it. And this week we are talking about forgiveness and that is It is the only reason, it is the only reason we get to approach God and say, Daddy, here are my issues. Dad, here's what's going on. Why is that? Because we are not adopted into God's family until we are forgiven through Christ. And so these two are directly linked. And for God to be our father, our dad, requires that it be on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody with me? Way too long for the background, but it'll all make sense in a minute. So we're going to jump to 612. I'm going to read it, and we're going to dig into a couple of words here, which is my want to do. I love me some grammar. Not when I was in school, I didn't. But when I'm reading grammar and languages, I don't understand. Okay. So the literal, tra- I mean, the, the the translation we get in most Bibles is almost, li- you know, literal word for word. It is very close. I didn't bother breaking out the uh, Greek-English uh, interliter- interlineary after I glanced at it. But it's, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the ESV. Um, this is, again, very close. The word debt is used. Why is that? Well... The Aramaic word for debt is almost exactly the same as the word for sin. They have the same root. It is a variant of the word. And debt, in this sense, then, is what I owe God but have not paid. Well, what do I owe God that I have not paid? Worship, obedience, etc., right? Like when you read the Ten Commandments, what do we owe our parents? Well, we honor our mother and father, And that's the first commandment in the table of parents. What's the first commandment in the table of God? Basically, honor God. Um, In the same way as I'm supposed to honor my parents, I'm supposed to honor God times a thousand. Everybody with me? Still awake? I had to turn the heat on if it gets too hot in here. Like, let me know. It was like 50-something. And I was like, this is not my fault, but I'm going to get blamed. Um, so the Aramaic word here is debt. And the idea here is, and Jesus teaches it this way once, and I believe because he's teaching in Aramaic, that's why he chose that, that metaphor. He talks about the debtor, this man who comes to the king and owes him like a gajillion dollars, right? He is basically the United States government. And he's like, I can never pay this back. You know, I'm sorry. That was awful. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but I owe all of this money. I can't forget. I can't pay it back. And he's forgiven. That's the idea here. We're asking to be forgiven a debt we can never, ever, ever repay. And it's not like the normal debt. You say, I could never repay that. Like, I'll look at my student loans and say, ain't no way I'm ever paying that back. This is bigger than that. Right? There's no way, if I threw a rock at John right now, the moment the rock leaves my hand, I can't call it back. I can't pay it back that I've hit him with a rock. I mean, I probably wouldn't. It's pretty far. And Man, everybody is asleep. Um, Luke 7 has the same prayer, by the way. And Luke actually renders it sin and then debt. Why? Because it's basically interchangeable. Everybody with me? So when Luke brings it into the Greek, he uses sin and then debt, and it sort of tips the hand. But Luke's got a different audience. Um, he's writing to Gentiles, whereas this is for the Jews, and the Jews would have known debt in this way in Aramaic would be sin. It would be an owed thing you can never pay back. The petition here is in light of the first half of the prayer. So like, it's important to understand this. So my debt to God... Um, is that I am outside of this reality? I do not live up to God's like revealed will for my life. I don't obey. I do not. Um, I don't treat Him as my King. I'm a rebellious subject. All of this, and so you have to see them together. It only works together. The next thing that's unique about this, by the way, it is the only prayer in the petitions here, right? So there's like seven petitions. The only one with a qualifier. Do you notice that? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Whenever I pray that in a group, I always say sin. You know why? Nobody else does. And then like, so you have like 20 guys praying it, and then you say, forgive us our sin, and everybody like, well, and it always throws the rhythm off. But I want people to remember this is sin we're talking about. It's a big deal. We can put it away by reciting the words exactly, but it's a big thing. Um, the qualifier is, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Ooh. Now, there are a couple of ways you could read that. You could say, God, help me to forgive other people in the same way you have forgiven me. Right? But then, we gotta go back to context. This is hard. And I'm. I wanted to make it easy. I thought about going the easy way. I have to do this the hard way because I think it's... More accurate. Uh, verse 14. For if, so he finishes the prayer and he goes into, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So what does that mean? Does that mean if I am, I, I'm following Jesus, but I have a person that I'm not forgiving, then I'm not forgiven and I'm suddenly out of you know, I'm gonna to go to hell if I die that way? No. Are you with me? The answer is no. But I'm gonna explain why. Um, and this involves understanding how forgiveness works. And to understand how forgiveness works, I get to preach the gospel, which is the most exciting part of doing this sermon today, is that I get to share the gospel. I get to talk about the reality of what we believe, the core principle. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to flip there, I'm going to start reading quick, because uh, so you got a few seconds to find it real quick here. Uh, it's in the New Testament. Um Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chose chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined. By the way, don't get hung up on that. Meaning in love he planned for us for adoption to himself. That's why we can call him Daddy, right? Father God. Um, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved um, in him. Now, here it goes in him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things in earth. Now, I'm going to unpack that because Paul is absurdly dense in his writing what Paul is saying here is he's saying listen when we were God's enemies when we were in sin when we were dead in our trespasses God looked at us and said that is my child and he adopted us in his family and he paid for our sins through Christ Jesus who carried every wicked deed I ever did am currently doing or ever will do on the cross so Christ carried all of that, and if I am a follower of Jesus, I am forgiven, because I am part of the new covenant, right? I am part of that agreement, that contract God has made with with humanity, that if you are under my son, and he is your king... You receive his righteousness, he receives your punishment, and you are forgiven. That is it. Imputed righteousness is the word, the technical, theological word. And it means I am not righteous on my own. I did not do anything to earn this. It was given to me, and Christ received my sin. He became sin who knew no sin. That's another Paul line, right? Like, But I am adopted, and God loves me, and I am forgiven because Christ was sacrificed in my place. And let's take a half a second to reflect on how awesome that is, right? Every nasty, ugly thing you've ever done, everything you lay awake at night and think about and feel ashamed of, everything that, like, whispers in your ear about how you're not good enough or you're horrible or you're trash or you're marked forever or whatever, all of that stuff on the cross, that's it. Now, That might seem to run against this because it's what the gospel teaches is that if you believe in your uh, heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you're forgiven. Meaning Christ is king in my life. I believe it. I follow him. I say it out loud. I am that guy. I'm forgiven. So then if I don't forgive other people, I'm not forgiven. How does that work? Well, I'm going to explain something. I'm not going to go into all of these texts. I listed them. Write them down. Look them up on your own. They will be in the deep dive this week because there's so much cool stuff here. You are not saved by anything you do. You cannot, cannot, cannot. I said it three times because I really mean it. Cannot, there's four, earn your salvation. You cannot do anything to deserve it. Not only that, if, You could drop it. Like, I, all right, so this morning I have lost everything. I had a different bottle of air freshener that I brought upstairs, and somewhere between downstairs and upstairs I lost it. I I lost my microphone for a while, lost my Bible for a while, lost my coffee for like 10 minutes. I didn't even understand that. If I could drop my salvation somewhere along the way, I would. Not saying anything more than that. I am saying, I sin and Christ forgives me. If I'm not in Christ, I'm not forgiven. Got it? But nothing I do makes me forgiven. Nothing. So then how does this fit? How does this work? Well, first off, if I am in Christ, forgiveness means old Eric has died, new Eric has risen, and is living As a new creation in Christ, I will desire and hunger to do God's will. I will grow to be more and more and more like Jesus. Everything I aim at, my whole life will become oriented toward becoming Christ-like. That is it. And the longer I follow Christ, ideally, the more I will look like him. And I will obey his teaching as a part of that. Do I obey his teaching so I'm saved? No. I obey his teachings. Because he's my king. Because he died for my sins. Because when I was rotten and horrible, in fact, knowing that I would have a big, rotten, horrible thing after I started following him, he still died for me. So then, what does that have to do with? Like, how does that gel then? If obedience is a part of following Christ because we desire, because we become a new thing, because we become this new creation, how does that work? With the forgiveness of others. Um... So first off, this is a thing that is all over Jewish literature. I'm not going to go into it today. I was going to pull out Syrac, and we're going to look at some intertestamental literature. And we're going to do that on the deep dive. Sorry. Um, But the idea of if you do not forgive others, God ain't forgiven you is all over the the Old Testament. It's all over the intertestamental literature. It's all over the rabbis. They repeat this stuff over and over again. Only generally when you read it, it's much sharper than what Jesus is saying. And so that is... Like, it's culturally appropriate. It fits with what the Jews thought at the time. Now, how does it work then? Um, First off, 6.14 is just clarifying the teaching, um, but we're going to jump to Colossians chapter 3. This is where it kind of gets fun, in my opinion. But all of it is really fun. Am I going to find it? I put a bookmark in. Aha. So we're in Colossians chapter 3. The pastor took like 20 minutes to get there, so y'all should have found this already. Uh, verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So... You also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart's Um, to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the father through him. So that phrase putting on, um, is a favorite of Paul's. We see it several times and it's cool. It is the idea of putting on a suit or a robe or an outfit, right? Like I, I do weddings every once in a while and I got to wear like a suit and tie, and it feels so alien to me. Like, I haven't hardly worn suits in years. I, I don't fit in any of them anymore. Um, but I have to put on this other Eric that gets up and tries to remember everybody's name and doesn't make inappropriate jokes and hasn't turned the AC down to 12 degrees or whatever. Like, like i got to put on this other person. We are to put on Christ like a suit. Like an outfit, like the clothing we wear, like the thing people see. When they see me, they should see Christ. When they see me, they should see that love, that forgiveness, that heart of compassion. All of this stuff should be what I wear every day because I'm putting on Christ. Within the body, within the body, forgiveness um, is also especially emphasized. We're going to jump to Ephesians. Um, chapter four, it's in the new Testament still. I thought about putting the verses up beforehand, but then I realized if I had everybody like hunt them down and bookmark them, then you wouldn't know which ones I was going to skip over on the fly. And I want to seem like I actually planned all this out Four twenty-nine to 32. All right. tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Um, He is talking to these guys about the church. Got that? You ever sit in a group of people, and I know this would never happen in Big Sandy, but small towns, maybe? Like in another small town in Montana, not Big Sandy. You ever sat in a group of people and listened to them talk about their friends and neighbors and the words bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice all fit like a glove. Not here. Everywhere else, right? The church should never look like this. The fact of the matter is I have never walked out of a conversation like that feeling clean. Anybody? Anybody ever listened to everybody gripe and complain about your neighbor? Or maybe somebody you know? and like you walk out of it thinking man that really lifted me up the thing that fixes that is grace forgiveness it it sort of wipes out the smell right like it binds with that bitterness it binds with that stuff and it takes it away it draws it out of us now we can get lost in what the meaning of that is but we're going to come, and we'll get to that in a second like what does it actually mean To forgive sin and what's this prayer actually talking about but the last thing i want to talk about is this idea of how does unforgiveness affect you spiritually and i could do this this there's a whole sermon got it like we could do this for hours um but i have an illustration and i need a volunteer i need a volunteer who is under the age of 10 and who is really strong i'm gonna not have you do it titus i'm sorry um, but you can be volunteer next time I need one. So do I have a volunteer under the age of ten? I don't know Eccles. Which is the strongest? Oh, I'm not asking you. I saw Riley's hand go up first. Riley, come here. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I'm going long, and it'll, I'll blame you. Uh, can you make a fist for me? How strong is your fist? You punch me in the arm. We see how. I, oh wow. That is one more time. Ooh, that was a mistake. All right. So you have a pretty good fist. Hold it out for me. Do you think I could f- force your fist apart if I tried What do you think? You want to bet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a $2 bill. Now, Riley, hard as you can make your fist. I want to see your knuckles turn white. Hard as you can. Now, if I come over here to Riley... Holy mess. By the way, don't tuck your thumb in. That makes it so you break your thumb when you punch people. Good job. I, I cannot. He's pretty strong. He gets it from his mom, I'm sure. Like I can't force money into Riley's hands. Isn't that weird? Get out of here. I cannot force money into Riley's hands when he's making a fist. And the reality is, as long as... As I am clenching tight to something that isn't Christ, guess what ain't entering my hands? As long as I've said, This is mine, you may not have it. God, God might break me. I'm telling you, that ain't fun. But the harder I clench, the harder I hold, the less I receive. And you know what? If I refuse to let go of for the sins of others, if I look at someone else and I say, I will not let that go forever, it will spiritually change me because I am creating a space where God is not going to make me like Christ, where he is not going to invade me and reform me and make me new. Sometimes it takes years to reach that point and it's hard. Right? I think in a farm field it would be like soil erosion. There might be a huge rock down there, but you ain't going to find it until the wind's blown off the first five layers, right? Which we don't want to have happen. Um, you cannot be bitter and angry against someone and grow in Christ likeness. You cannot go to that fire and dump gasoline on it every night and be more loving. There are examples of this all over the Old Testament. Right? Read the story of uh, Absalom, who murdered his brother and attempted to murder his father because he held on to anger and bitterness. He held it as tight as he could, and it made him broken. And I've watched people do this. I've done it, where I've held on to anger for years and years and years and years, but it doesn't change them. It only changes me. Holding on to anger is like discovering rats in your attic, buying rat poison, pouring it into a nice cereal bowl in your living room and feasting down on it every day until it destroys your soul. That is all there is to it. Forgiving debt. In this prayer, and I'm saying this, understand me. What I am talking about is near on to impossible. Everybody got it? There are some sins I don't understand how anybody could ever forgive them. There are some sins that weren't even done to me, and I don't want to forgive, because it just becomes it makes you viscerally angry to hear about them, and to know that like this is a sin that was committed against a child of God or 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 somebody that that has God's fingerprint on them as a as a designed part of the creation. Like you see those things, and it is, just makes you angry. We pray first to confess our sins. Because I think in order to forgive others, part of the deal is forgetting. Like, is not forgetting, sorry. Part of the deal is owning our own stuff. Why is that? Because when you point the law at others, when you point, like, anger and bitterness at others, and you take the law and you say, this guy broke this rule, this guy is this kind of sinner, this guy is this, this guy is that, and you don't turn the law on yourself and search yourself, it... It, it, you fail to see where you're unlike Christ. You fail to see where you have to repent, where you have to be made new. To be angry at someone else is to not look at yourself. When I went through, uh, uh, when I quit drinking and I dealt with all of my brokenness and everything else, it changed a part of me that was weird. I had to go and, like, part of making amends to people, I had to go and talk and confess gossip and things to people who really mistreated me, and I did not like them. And I did not want to go. And a lot of them lorded over me and were really like high and mighty. And part of me wanted to say, you know what? I, well, I, I'm not going to say what part of me wanted to say. But the truth is that them thinking one thing or another didn't change me. Me being bitter and me having sin that I did not own and fix changed me. And not, did it, not only did it change me, it changed me and Jesus. Because I was making a fist and there was nothing that was entering my hands. And so to pray and confess sins is the starting point because when we begin to like search our heart and we begin to search ourselves and we begin to realize I am unworthy of the grace I received. It changes us. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve forgiveness. I deserve hell. I deserve judgment. I deserve so much wrath. And I'm so grateful that Christ forgave me. And I look at other people, and I I end up thinking, well, that's pretty bad, but I'm worse. Hey, guess what I did? Right? The there's power in that, and I think it's one of the most powerful things about walking with Jesus is that we realize I drove those nails in. I saw this argument on Twitter this week uh, because they're talking about Jewish people in the war and. There's this, like, Jews killed Jesus, Romans killed Jesus, I killed Jesus. You, we, our sins. Our sins yelled crucified louder than the mob did. And that's all there is to it. But I'm forgiven. And anyone who is in Christ is forgiven. I can clench hard, and it'll damage a part of my relationship. Why? Because there are times, I had a thing I did that, was wrong years ago toward my family, and it took me, I don't know, 10, 20 years to confess it to my dad and ask for forgiveness. And he knew, and he's like, that doesn't bother me at all. Why were you so wound up about it? But I carried carried it and tortured myself with it. You know why? Because like I was wrong. Because I did something I know was wrong, and it affected how I approached Dad. How does unforgiveness work between us and God? You might be forgiven in a judicial sense, but it can damage your relationship. That's it. You can create space between you and God. And by the way, it is space that looks a little more like the prodigal son running off to feed the pigs in a foreign nation than God chasing you to the curb. And That's it. All you ever have to do is come back, and he'll meet you with a coat and a sigil ring, and he'll have a party and kill the fatted calf the whole nine yards. Every time we are to use the law to search ourselves when we confess to God. By the way, this is the other part we can lose sight of what it means to confess sin to God because we don't recognize how serious it is to confess to God. Like um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the idea that um, if I have sin and it's easier for me to confess it to God than to another believer I'm not confessing to God. I'm confessing to myself. Why? Because God should be more terrifying to me than Daniel or, or Jimmy or whoever. Like, God should be way more scary because God is terrifying. All, you know, the worst, you know, Daniel could shoot me, I guess, right? Um, he could beat me up real bad. He could destroy my life if I confessed a sin to him. God could send me to hell. God could announce unforgiveness. God could do all kinds of things. Like you, There's no comparing. Oftentimes we confess to God quicker because we're not confessing to God. And this is why Bonhoeffer argues we should confess to each other. We should bring our sin to one another. And that requires openness, which requires trust, which requires grace. Because if we can't offer grace for everything, we'll never receive it. And so realizing our own sin, that in fact impacts how we forgive others. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a great teaching. Jesus teaches about the unforgiving servant, um, where this servant owes his king like a billion dollars. And he can't repay it. And the king's like, all right, well, time to have you and your family tortured. And he's like, no, 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 please. Forgive me, forgive me, forgives him. He says, well, I guess I'll have mercy on you. I'll forgive you. On his way out, he runs into a guy who owes him five bucks. Beats the heck out of him, has him thrown in jail and tortured until he can pay back the $5. By the way, torturing someone does not help them pay back faster. Um, When the king finds out, he says, wait a second. You owed me an ocean next to the shot glass that guy owed you. Why wouldn't you forgive him? Does that mean God is going to cast me out? I don't think that fits with the scriptures. Does it mean it will affect my relationship? Yes. Do I think I could do that for the rest of my life? and?" Walk right with Jesus? I don't, I don't know. Can I consciously choose to disobey over and over again? I think eventually there's a line. I don't know what it is. But forgiveness is a requirement in the same way baptism is a requirement. Does baptism save you? No. Are you supposed to do it? Yes. Is forgiveness a requirement? Yes. If you don't do it, will you go to hell? I'm not sure. I would rather work out my salvation with fear and trembling when it comes to these things. And beyond that, I know what it is to lay in bed and pour gas on the fire. And so as we pray through these things, first off, praying about our own sins means taking a sincere and solid and real look at it and talking to God about it. That's hard. Talking to God about our unforgiveness towards others, our, our lustful thoughts, our our judgment of others our, our bitterness our whatever like talking to God about that stuff is hard And in the same way confessing that to God or anyone else is hard and it should be hard But more so as we pray for forgiveness in others what we're praying for we're not just praying God You know forgive me as I forgive others. We're saying God Help me become this person. There are people I had to pray for for years before I forgave them I'm, not even gonna lie like, years. Why? Because I didn't want to. Because part of me was angry. Being angry is hard to let go of. I talked to someone recently, and I was going to do a deep dive video on this, and I didn't. And I feel bad because I suck. But um, Pardon my, sorry. Um, they were talking about, well, sometimes when I pray, my thoughts go to the wrongs someone has done to me. And I think part of the reason that happens, now watch this. What if when we pray, the Holy Spirit draws us to the thing we're supposed to talk to him about? I was like, I talk to my wife, and sometimes I don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. You know, like how much I spent on my new toy or whatever. And my wife would say, hey, hey, what about this? I think the Holy Spirit does that to us. Draws our attention to this broken thing. Not because he wants us to feel guilt, but because he wants to talk to us about it. He wants us to bring it to him. He wants us to unpack it. He wants us to say, Lord, I'm hurting here. Lord, I'm angry here. Lord, I feel so broken and betrayed. Lord, this, Lord, that. Like these things, we're to talk to Jesus about them. And that is how we come to healing. Sometimes it means talking to each other. Sometimes it means unpacking it and dealing with it and facing it. But in the process, we know Christ died for you, for your sins. And Christ died for that person, whether they're going to know it or not, ever. And Christ desires that they know. Does that mean that, like, so what is and what isn't this forgiveness, okay? First off, it is not just emotional. You can forgive someone and work through the emotions, right? My wife and I, when we had our our rough spot, like, what, 18, 19 years ago, she forgave me pretty quick, I think, took a long time to get over the feelings. And sometimes she ain't over them, and I'm pretty sure that's the case, but she would probably deny it. So, um, but... Sometimes it takes time to deal with feelings feelings are not everything if you let your feelings steer your life You will not go good places forgiving is a letting go of the debt It is a letting go of you owe me you wronged me. It is letting it go. It is not instant It takes time The other part of this that I think is important to understand Forgiving someone does not involve letting them bite you again. Got it? Like, if the neighbor's dog bit me, I would not forgive it and then go back and let it bite me again. That would be stupid. Got it? I uh, I knew a Christian. He was a minister who was abused by his uncle when he was young. And his uncle came back to him and said, oh, I'm sorry I did that. And I, I found Christ and I'm, I'm a different man and everything else. And he, he and I were talking one day. I knew him through Twitter. But he was letting his son, his young son, spend the night at his uncle's house. And I was like, nope. Dude, what are you doing? Why would you do this? He's, well, he, he repented. He changed. He said he did. Nope. You can forgive someone and not let them bite you. Got it? Forgiving somebody doesn't mean you've got to let them hurt you. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean you put yourself in that position to be abused or mistreated or what have you. It does not wash the consequences of our actions, I can forgive somebody we uh, Jess and I had a house we rented out, and there' were some people who lied to us quite a bit and took advantage of our Christian charity and we ended up having to sue them in the end and it was not very cool and they owe us like many dollars um, and I forgive them, but like they also created a financial disaster for us, and like they 're probably never going to pay us back it 's really what it comes down to, but like If they pay me back, I'm going to let them, right? Like, I don't have to say, oh, yeah, well, you robbed me. Go ahead and keep robbing me. Um, There are consequences that come with it. There are consequences for our actions between us and others. I think to some degree between us and God changes the nature of our relationship. It changes everything. And so we don't have to forgive and put ourselves in a position of being abused further. But we do have to be Christ. We have to learn to see others through the eye of Christ. And that is the purpose of praying. We pray and ask for forgiveness because we got to remember. And we pray to forgive others because it's not possible apart from Christ. Not at all. My challenge for you today as you go out, I cut a lot and I still went long because I wanted to talk about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is hard. It is. And praying about forgiveness is about the only way to accomplish it. It is a product of the Holy Spirit. It is a product of the miraculous. It is a product of becoming like Jesus. And my question for you is, are you carrying stench with you? Do you carry grace? Do you you walk in the room and everybody knows you're that bitter guy who's never going to let it go, Or do you walk in the room and there's joy and people desire to be around you because your spirit doesn't drive them away? Search those parts of your life and pray. Seek Christ. Go to him over and over and over again. And you know what? You can struggle with it. You can. You can continue to be angry. But you got to wrestle. That was Israel, right? Jacob was the liar, and God changed his name to Israel, he who wrestles with God and overcomes. Did he win? No. But he wrestled. He wrestled all night. It's better to wrestle and overcome your sin than to not wrestle or to pretend it's not there. Let's close in prayer, and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray you would be with us. I pray that you would uh, walk with us today. Most of all, Lord God, I pray that you would make us into a people of prayer and a people of prayer who like as we approach you, as we talk to you, as your spirit draws out of us hard things, as we are tempted to pour gas on the fire of our bitterness or 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 hide our own sins from you, Lord God, that you would. That you would make us like Christ, that you would make us into people who pray for our enemies and our brothers and sisters who we don't want to pray for, who we don't want to forgive. I pray that you would make us into the kind of people who say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Rather than people who stand back and cry out, crucify them in our bitterness and anger and sin. Amen. Have a good day, guys.